0: Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part one of a three-part message given by Pastor Eric Lutie at the Church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now, here's Pastor Eric Lutie.
1: The position of victory, a study in the power of reckoning the truth. This has the potential to be one of the most important messages you ever hear in your life. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Most of us struggle with Christianity in the sense that it doesn't work. We have head knowledge of it, but it doesn't functionally change our life. This is a message that will teach you how Christianity functionally changes us. It is extremely exciting. It is a life-changing message. It is one of those messages that you could say sets men and women free. And I know I'm giving a big sales pitch to a message, and you know how in the world could I possibly back that up? I don't need to back it up. I'll let the truth back it up. God's word works. It's that simple. When you trust it, it changes you. It is truth that sets free. Modern Christianity believes that it's hugs and kisses that set free, but it's actually truth. Straightforward truth spoken when someone heeds it and listens to it truly sets the soul free. Hugs and kisses are great, by the way. I'm not against them. It's just truth that sets people free. This is a three-part series, but session one, we're going to call it Getting Inside, because the in is everything. Paul seems to deliberately choose a way of expressing the gospel to us, which might catch us a little funny if we were to think about it, but Paul is always saying, it's about your position. Are you in Christ Jesus and you know you could say on near Christ Jesus however Paul goes out of his way to say in and in is a very very important concept in the Hebrew mind in is actually in if we're talking about anything whether it's close to airplanes your position in relationship to those items if you are on top of them They cannot serve you in the way that they are built and constructed to serve you. But if you are inside of them, then suddenly their merit, their ability is able to work on your behalf. All right, so getting inside. Introducing the Holy of Holies. So what we have is we have a throne. It's very hard to depict to you the presence of God. I mean, how do you draw something that's invisible? And yet, there are certain attributes to it that we can know. It's described in very specific ways. And so, this is the Holy of Holies, and we're going to call it the unapproachable place. What's amazing is that when we were originally created, we were created good. We were created in an intentional way to be in the image of God, and the breath of God was literally breathed into us, and we had access unto an intimate relationship with the living God. When sin entered this world, it cut us off from something very specific, and I'm going to describe that something specific as this. It's the Holy of Holies. It's the very place where God dwells. He lives there, and if you want to be with God, then that's where you need to be, and so a throne is symbolic of authority. A king sits on a throne, and he is a king. He is the authority of all authorities. In Revelation, you see Jesus with crowns upon crowns upon his head. Why why does he need more than one? Because there are authorities, but he is the authority above all authorities. He is the king of all kings. He is the lord of all lords. He is the authority of all authorities. It is the throne. So that's gold. I know it looks sort of a marmalade uh, you know, Winnie the Pooh color, but it is actually gold. Uh, What you see is some lightning bolts on the, the side of it. That's symbolic of power. Okay, this is the place of power. If you want power, well, the only place to actually get real spiritual power is right here. You know what's on the other side? It's clusters of grapes. It's sort of hard to know how to describe life. But this is the place of abundant life. If you want life, there's only one place to get it, and it's, it's here. And yet, what am I calling this place? The unapproachable place. Technically, you have no access to this place, Outside of something that I'm going to describe, of course, most of you are familiar with that something, but we are actually cut off from this power. We are cut off from this life. We are cut off from his presence. You see that it's sort of shaking on the bottom. See those little lines on this? It's sort of, it's it's rumbling. Okay, because this is the holy, holy, holy throne of God. It is the place of absolute holiness, which is otherness. God is not like us. So his holy, holy, holy place is unlike us. We are unholy, we are unholy, we are unholy. Unless we are holy, holy, holy like him, we can't come near. We can't come under this. Yet everything you need for life and godliness, everything that you were created to have in your life so that you could be functional as a Christian is here. Well, that doesn't make it a very good story. It's called bad news. We're cut off from life. See, this isn't bad news in and of itself, but it's bad news to find out that, oh, okay, well, how do I get there? Can I I go there? No, you can't. There is no access for you unless you're perfectly righteous, you're perfectly holy, and you are like God. You see, he created you in his image, and so show it. Demonstrate the way you're supposed to be, the way he created you to have fellowship with him. And so we dig in our own pockets and we're like, "Uh, all right, uh, I don't have anything. We have dust. We have lint. That's all we have is human lint to offer. And we're like, God, I, I, I can't. So God makes a way for us. And when he's making a way, it's such an interesting thought, but I'm going to introduce you to... <laughs> I know, it's a little uh, cliche to use a heart for love. But you know what? That, that at least makes sense to us. So excuse the uh, the cliche here. But we have a God who sits on this throne and he is motivated by something different than most of us. Most of us are just selfish. That's how we live. We are about us. God is not just about himself. He is about others. Which is such an amazing thought to think that God actually thinks about the well-being of others. It's called love where he considers others as more important. How How could anyone even think this thought and yet God is built of the stuff. He is love. And so what we call this place is not just the holy of holies but it's the throne of grace. Everything you need for life is actually in him. But what's amazing is he wants to give it to you. The gospel hinges on the fact not just that God is who he is. Oh wow, he sits enthroned on high and he is almighty. He is holy, holy, holy. But that he is also motivated. He is a rewarder of those who will diligently seek him. He is after our best interests. He's love. For God so loved. Well, how do you get to that love? How do you get to that throne? God says, I'm making a way for you. And so what does he give? He gives the law. Uh, excuse me, God, but that's not going to get me there. What God is showing is that this is the only way to me. And so he gave his law. Now, that's the Ten Commandments. I know, again, a little cliche version of it. I don't know that it was actually shaped that way. But for our sakes, to make it as easy to understand, God gave us the law, and he says, if you can match the law, then, and you, it's, it's almost like a portal. It's like a keyhole. If we can go through this entry, he says, if you can match this, then you can get to my heart, you can get to my throne of grace, and you can enter into the holy of holy presence of God. And so he sets it out before us. Now, he already knows what the answer is, but we don't know the answer. You see, we don't recognize that we are unlike God. So he gives us the law, and he says, can you enter? You have to prove perfectly righteous. You have to prove perfect agreement with this behavior. You see, God's law is merely an enunciation of who he is. And yet, when we try and get through the law and we try and fit in through these Ten Commandments, we can't get through. God already knew we couldn't get through because he's preparing a way. There's only one way through. And what he begins to show us is, first of all, that he is not like us, but that because of his love and because of our need for a perfect, all-satisfying sacrifice, he is made a way, and it is shaped like a cross. And that cross can actually carry us through the law of God into that heart. However, this law this sacrifice has to be perfect and satisfying. It has to be a lamb without blemish, without a broken bone. It has to be spotless. You see God is setting the stage for us to understand what we what we know as the gospel. He is saying there is a way through the law, but it has to be the perfect sacrifice. This cross This offering is the only one that will truly satisfy me. It must fit right through there. And so you can come up with all other sorts of sacrifices and try and fit them through the law, in and through this nice little hole, but there's only one thing that would fit, and it's the cross. The cross is the only thing that can fit through the law and get us into the presence of God. However, we can try and whip that up ourselves. We can't pull off the cross. I can't. I know you can. I'm just breaking it to us simply. We can't do this, so even though God is making it clear, the perfect atoning sacrifice, if you can come up with a, a propitiation that would be just and satisfying to God, that would be perfectly fitting, I can get you through the law, but he breaks it to us as gently as he can, but you can't do it, which is why I'm going to send someone to you who can. And here we see is that there is a way in and through the cross in and through the law, and that is a man. One man will come, and the Old Testament talks about this man over and over and over again. He's the Messiah, who is Emmanuel, who will be God with us. And his goings forth are from of old and from of everlasting. He is not just merely a man, though he will be born of a woman in the town of Bethlehem. He is more than a man, he is actually God. And this God-man, who we know as Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed Christ of God, fits perfectly through it. You know, you take any other man and try and stick him through this hole on this cross, and he doesn't fit. It's only one man throughout all of history. It's like the key that goes into the lock and suddenly it works, or it's like the, the cable. Have you ever had the wrong cable for your, your cell phone? You try and stick it in, it doesn't work. That's the way this is. God fits perfectly in and suddenly it all comes together. You see, God has made a way in and through his son And when you come unto the Son, the Son is the access point through the perfect sacrifice, the atoning work of God, through the law, perfectly satisfying the just demands of righteousness, into the very heart, the throne room of God, into the very Holy of Holies. But there is no other way. You cannot get to that throne any other way. So how does this affect us? You see, Christianity must be made practical. Now, let's take a close look at this. Oh, by the way, the perfect fit. This is what I love about what it says in Hebrews. The perfect fit. Jesus Christ says he was fitting for this work. He fits right in there. Have you ever looked for the right puzzle piece? And you're like looking around on the table and nothing fits. And then finally you find Jesus. And you stick him into this puzzle. And guess what? He fits right in. And he takes you right in through the puzzle, into the presence of God. Listen to this scripture. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, has become higher than the heavens. So you have to take a close look at this. You see, Jesus Christ has done it. He really has. But he has invited us into that presence. He started in that presence. Where did he come from? He came from that throne room. So the reason he came to this earth was not to just go back and say, hey guys, see, I did it. It's to actually become a carrying device for us because we have no access under the throne except through him. And so what he does is there is something that opens up in the side of him. This is my mental picture for it. Do you remember the spear that goes in through the side right into his heart? I like to say it goes right into the heart of God. It's an opening right into the heart, into the throne room of God. And out of that throne room comes forth the life-giving substance unto us. But it makes a way. There is now a crevice that is made. You can see it there. And what's interesting is say we're staring up at the cross and we see the opening in Christ's side and Christ says, come on in. See, Christian, what I'm going to describe to you right now might be a little odd to your mind. But actually, this is exactly how Paul describes it. He describes Christ as our clothing. His shed blood is literally a clothing or a garment of salvation. It's actually armor that is supposed to surround us. It is a strong tower that we're supposed to enter into. You're supposed to enter into his sacrifice, into his sufferings, into his death. You're supposed to enter in, but you look up at it, you go, I can't fit in through that. I'm a grown man, I can't fit in through that little hole. And God says, You're right. You need to become a lot smaller. You need to become like a little child. You see, it's only the little humble child that believes with a simple faith that can actually enter into this position and take full advantage. The moment you enter into Christ, guess what? You're in the heart of God. You've entered into the throne of grace. You have access, but it's access in and through his work, not through any work you could ever do. So just a very simple enunciation that we will begin to refer back to throughout our message. Hebrews 4 says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Well, how in the world are we supposed to do that? Didn't you hear, Eric? He said it's unapproachable. You'd have to be holy, holy, holy to come there. You'd have to be perfectly righteous to come there. And you know what our answer is? He is. And they're like, "What? what do you mean? He is. That's how I come in. He did it. He is holy, holy, holy. He is perfectly righteous. He made the sacrifice for sin. He did it. Well, then how do you get to come in? That's a good question. You see, I just simply turned in childlike faith and climbed into his work. And I said, his work can carry me there. And when you put your confidence as a little child into the work of Jesus Christ, you find yourself where Christ is. When Christ hung on that cross, you hung on the cross. And it dealt a death blow to your old life. When he was buried, you were buried. And it buried your old behavior and no longer is your behavior visible to this world. And then when he rose again, you rose again. You go, "Ah, I wasn't even there. It was 2,000 years ago. You're in Christ by faith. Therefore, his work is your work. When you are in Christ, you go where he goes. You do what he does. He did the work for you. And as a result, you get to share in his amazing victory. So... Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jehu in the chariot of judgment. So Jehu is an incredible picture of the judgment day in scripture. You know, not one of our favorite things maybe to think about always, however, a very important thing for us to remember and understand. Jehu is anointed king of, of Israel, and he is literally coming in to do judgment, He literally stomps, and his his chariot runs over the body of Jezebel. All the sons of Ahab, he's sworn to kill them and to slay them. This is all the sons of wickedness in the land that have defiled the kingdom of God. And so, as a result, Jehu is on his chariot of judgment. And this scene shows up. Now, when when he departed, speaking of Jehu, from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right as my heart is toward your heart? And Jehonadab answered, It is. And Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up into the chariot. Then he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot, and when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria, till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord which he spoke to Elijah. There's a chariot. It's a chariot of judgment. Who rides it? Jesus. Jesus rides the chariot of judgment. You do not want to be anywhere but in that chariot. And so Jesus right now, before he comes to bring judgment, stops at your soul. He extends his hand out to you and he says, is your heart towards me the way my heart is towards you? And this man answered, right, it is. And I picture him reaching down and taking Jehonadab and swinging him up into the chariot. When you're in the chariot, you are with the judge at the judgment. You are in his protection. You are not under the wheels of the chariot, but you are actually with him. That is an amazing thought and an incredible picture of what it means to be in Christ Jesus. You are either in the chariot or you are under the chariot. In Christ It's a statement that if you start studying it in scripture, you'll begin to realize is replete. This is not just like Paul accidentally said it once or some translator said, I guess it would probably make more sense if we said in here. It's everywhere. If you study in Christ, in him, and in whom, you're going to see it everywhere. This is the classic language of Paul throughout the New Testament. Position, position, position. What's your Position. You see, you need to know your position. As a Christian, position is everything. And so this message, the position of victory, this is understanding that his position is actually bequeathed to you. And in faith, you must know that you are in Christ Jesus. And so we'll walk through this more practically. So first, the illustration that we see in Scripture is clothing. Paul says, put off the old man." It's like, put off these garments. He's talking about clothing, but he talks about our old life as if it's clothing. And it's true, we are in Adam. We are dressed in Adam, and as a result, when the judgment comes towards Adam and Adam's race, there's condemnation, there's separation from God, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so Paul exhorts us to put off our previous life, our old life, and what we hear in the New Testament is that we must be born again. We must become a second man. We must enter into new clothing. But uh, you can't stitch for yourself perfect righteousness. How are you going to stitch for yourself the clothing of a new man? You can't do it. He did it. That's what his blood is at the cross. It is literally stitched it together on the cross and handed to us a robe, clothing. That when we are dressed in it, we are literally made new. And so clothing. And I use this illustration at Ellerslie. If we have a pile of clothes over here. And, you know, they're nice clothes. And I even esteem them as nice clothes. And I'm standing, you know, a couple feet removed from them. They're my clothes, by the way. And so you're all a little awkward going, "Uh, Eric, you're supposed to be in the clothes. And I'm like, what's the big deal, guys? I esteem the clothes. I like the clothes. I sing songs about the clothes. And you're like, it's a big deal, please. Could you get into the clothes? And so I'm like a little fed up with how, uh, you know, much noise you guys are making about this whole clothing issue. Because, I mean, I'm near the clothes. I mean, what's the big deal? So I step on top of the clothes. I'm like, you guys satisfied? And what's your answer? No! (laughs) Get in the clothes, Eric! You see, clothes cannot offer you their strength. You know that clothes have something to give? They really do, but when they're balled up on the floor and I'm standing on top of them, they are not able to give me their strength. They have virtue. They have ability, but they only can lend that ability to me when I am inside of them. And when I get inside of them, guess what? You all sit back and go, oh, thank you. You see, clothes can do a great work for Eric. However, I must be inside of them. Of course, I didn't take a lot of convincing for many of you in here on that point. You're like, I see his point. Armor. Armor has value when you are in it. If you stand on top of armor and a sword is being swung at you, an arrow is being shot at you, have you noticed that the armor will not lend you its strength? Armor lends you its strength when you are inside of it. And what does God say? Put on the armor of God. You see, the armor of God is Jesus Christ, it's his work on the cross. We are being clothed in a person. We must climb into that work on the cross and find it as our shelter, as our clothing. In the Bible, it's also referred to as a strong tower. Jesus is a strong tower. He is our strong tower. Well, how does a strong tower work? So say we have a big tower here, and it's thick walls, and it's sturdy, and we come up to it, and we hug the tower. You know if you hug the tower, and there's this archer over here with a fiery arrow, it's like, Ding! shooting it at you, and you're so tired of having those fiery arrows ding, right in your rear end. And you're like, oh, I'm so tired of this. Jesus, I've come to you and I've hugged your tower. Hugging a tower is not the secret of a tower. The secret of a tower's strength is to enter inside of the tower. There's a little sticky note on the door. Jesus, by the way, is the door. He's the way in. He's the tower. He's salvation. See, salvation is in a person. It's not just a plan. It's not a theory. It's not just a, you know, a list of things that you need to check off. It is faith in saying that tower is what will save me from that arrow. So what do I need to do? It says, psst, hey, Ludi, get inside. And I'm like, huh? Boy, Greek is really hard to understand. (laughs) Just get inside, open the door, go in. It's amazing, but the moment I go inside, my life changes. Why? That arrow? Now, when it's shot the same way it was shot before, I mean, I might be just a few feet removed. Dink! It bounces off the outside of the tower. See, a tower has something to offer to me, but it can only give me its strength when I am inside of it. Airplane, probably my favorite illustration. I wish airplanes existed in Paul's day because I would have loved to hear him wax eloquent about an airplane. An airplane is able to accomplish something that we, as mere humans, can't. It can fly. It can defy a law known as gravity. You see, you try and flap your arms, and and, you you mean well. And you're like, God, I want to fly for you. Because imagine there was some scripture in the Bible that says, you must fly. Unless you can fly, you can have no part with me. And we're like, well, I'm going to fly then? And this is what we do. We flap our arms all the time as Christians. Like, God, is that pleasing to you? He's like, no. You see, you can't please me in attempting in your own strength to do something that only I can do for you. What pleases me is faith. When you turn to me and say, God, could you fly for me? And yet, we don't understand how this works mechanically, and so most of us are trying to please God by flapping our arms. You see, if you go to an airport and you esteem how that plane works, I mean, just look at that plane. It's called Jesus Christ. It takes off. You're like, whoa, and you get all your family. Did you see that? Look at how that plane can fly. And everyone goes, ah, wow. And yet, so then you try and imitate it. You see, just looking at the plane does not give you or bequeath to you the strength of the plane. You esteem the plane, but there's a secret to flight, and that is you can't just be near staring at a plane. You can't sing songs of praise about a plane. You must be in the plane. Okay, now say you get so frustrated in your Christian life that you walk out onto the tarmac, which is a big step because most people only look at it behind the glass in an airport, and you're like, I'm going. I'm getting near that plane. And so you get out there and you stand by the plane as it's getting ready to take off, just hoping that the vibe or the exhaust will somehow change you. And it does. It knocks you out. And all the exhaust is in your face. And once again, you flop to the ground. It flies. You're frustrated. You're tired of defeat. And so you climb on top. It's your one last ditch effort to see this thing change. You climb on top and you hug the plane. You kiss it. I mean, you are close. You are near as you know to be. And yet, when that plane takes off, as long as you are outside, the law of gravity is still in effect and will pull you down to the ground. And then someone finally passes on the nice, encouraging news. You know, there's a sticky note on the door. Eric, just look at the sticky note. What, there's a sticky note? It says your name on it. Eric, get inside God. <laughs> get inside. What could that possibly mean? You see, the secret to overcoming the law of gravity is to enter into the strength, the virtue, the power, the efficacy of a higher law. The law of aerodynamics trumps the law of gravity. And so when you enter into the vehicle that is built to overcome the law of gravity, you actually, without flapping your wings, you know that when you enter into a plane and the plane starts moving, you do not need to hold the plane up. You do not need to flap your wings to help it. Wings, arms. All you need to do is abide You need to rest and allow the plane to do for you that which you could never do for yourself, which is fly. You see, we are under the law of sin and death. And you can try in your own strength to make it to the throne room of grace. And you will fail. But Jesus Christ has made a way for us. In and through his death, his sufferings on that cross, he has opened up an avenue that when we put our confidence in it and enter into him, then... As we rest in his work and say, it's sufficient. I, I don't need to work something up. I just need to remain in faith in him. And actually, my life will change. My life will begin to work. And guess what? It does. You know the hardest place to stay is in the position of faith. So there you are flying over the Atlantic. And you're on your way to to Europe, and you've always dreamed of going there. And there's like some scripture that says, unless you get to Europe, you can have no part with me. And you're like, okay. All right, I've got this thing figured out. Now, now I'm in the plane, and we're flying. And so you're actually seeing the realities of Christianity at work within you. And then at a certain point over the Atlantic, you say, God, thank you for giving me a head start. I think I have this flight thing figured out. And so you open up the door to the plane and jump out and say, I can do it from here. What's the secret to making it through this journey? It's not just entering in at the beginning. It's believing all throughout the journey that that work on the cross is your work. When you come to that judgment day, don't reach into your own pockets and come out with some lint. When God says, what is the merit by which you can enter into my kingdom? What your answer is is very simple. I'm in Christ. Enough said. Is your heart towards me the way my heart is towards you? And you say, it is. It is. And you are in the chariot. You are in the victor. The lake house. So the lake house is the building next door. Imagine that it was really cold out. And sleet, snow, whatever. You know, Colorado can whip up all sorts of different types of weather. But it's cold. And maybe you're near, you know, some negative numbers. And you're rather uncomfortable. Because the human body is made for like 70 degrees and sunny. That's that's my opinion. Uh, And so you're outside uh, and frigid cold. And something's just not right in your life, okay? Because you look in, you see all this wonderful warmth. Have you ever looked in Scripture and seen all this wonderful temperature-controlled air in the Bible? It's like, oh, it just looks so nice in there. And yet you're, you can't seem to get in. You, feel, you don't feel worthy either because you don't deserve to be in there. You don't have any invitation that you know of. And so, yeah, you can understand that all these other people may be able to walk around and there be all happy and leap for joy. But there you are on the outs. Now, some of us actually have believed in Jesus, and we find ourselves in the grand house. We'll call it the lake house right now. In the grand house, and yet we don't feel worthy. And so what do we do? We hang out in the coat closet and hide, just hoping that God will never find us. Until, you know, we get to heaven, and then he's like, oops, how'd you get here? And we're like, "Uh, it's too late. You can't change your mind now. (laughs) And so we hang out in the coat closet. There's a whole bunch of, you know, coats in front of us, and we hide there with the brooms. But one day, You know, an elderly student's going through looking for a broom and pushing the coats aside. And you're like, (gasps) oh, you panic because your face is exposed. And they're like, (gasps) what are you doing here? And you go, shh, don't don't say anything. Please, just close the door again and leave me. I'm just trying to hang on. And they said, well, if you're in the house, did you know that the whole house belongs to you? No one can come into the house that isn't a son or a daughter. (laughs) The whole house belongs. Take my hand. Take my hand. Let me take you on a tour of all that is available to you in Christ. Wait till you see it. When you begin to recognize what is available to you, it's not just salvation from punishment in hell. That, I mean, that's, that's great. Don't get me wrong. That's wonderful. But that is the beginning of what is available to us in the person of Christ. Because everything that the Father bequeaths to Jesus, we have access to in Jesus Christ. So when you know your position, suddenly you rise up. And you're like, are you, are you serious? And God says, very serious. Off with the old and on with the new. So this is just some good old-fashioned Paul. Colossians 2, for in him, remember what your what's your position? In you see, you're in him. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete... In him. What's your position? So if you're in Christ, that means you're complete in him. I'm not asking you how you feel if you feel complete. I'm saying, what is the truth? The truth is saying that when you're in him, you are made complete. Which is the head of all principality and power. In whom? What's your position? So you're in Christ. You're in whom? In whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So don't try and pull off this circumcision on your own. You see, it's in Christ that you are circumcised with the circumcision that is made without hands. In the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So, how did you put off the old man? Well, by a circumcision that was made without hands. And how did you get that? In whom? In Christ. You see, you try and somehow put off the old man. And yet, the way you put off the old man is by entering into Christ. Just wait till you hear this message. It's so exciting. Buried with him in baptism. It's like, well, I, I, I was still alive when he... Well, actually, I wasn't even born yet when he was buried. But how can I be buried with him 2,000 years ago when I'm like walking and moving around right now? You see, this is how the miracle of the gospel works. You know that Adam sinned way back in the day, and yet when Adam sinned, I was in him? I know that sounds strange. You need to know a little bit about genetics. Uh, however... When Adam sinned, I was in Adam. You know, I'm related to Adam. So are you, just in case you were very impressed with me. It's like, you're related to Adam? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in his family tree. You see, I'm related to Adam, and so are you. And we were in Adam when he sinned, and so therefore, when he sinned and he died, we all died. But when you enter into Christ by faith, when he is victorious, I'm victorious. When he triumphs on the cross, I triumph when he cancels sin, uh, when he judges the flesh and nixes the power of the old man. uh, You see, I'm in him, and when I'm in him, it becomes mine. Okay, you're getting the hint as we go. This is such an exciting truth. Buried with him in baptism wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, which means made alive, together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. So, Paul again in Ephesians 4, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. You're supposed to put something off. You're supposed to put off Adam. Adam is the old man. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Adam is under judgment and condemnation. Christ is victorious, the perfect fulfillment of the law, satisfying in the presence of God, and you are able to enter. Big difference between the two. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. That's just basic Christianity. We've all put off the old man with his deeds, haven't we? And some of us are saying, I didn't even know I was supposed to. You see, this is basic Christianity, we don't linger in the old life and call ourselves Christians. When you come unto Christ, you put off the former and take on the new. It's called old and new. Old is past in a way. Behold, all things are new. It's exciting stuff. For as many of you has, have been baptized into Christ. You know what the word baptized means? Baptizo? It means to be put in. It means to be immersed inside of something. You know that the illustration in the Greek, which isn't the, it's sort of an awkward one, is, a, is a, a cucumber being immersed in vinegar. And this is baptizo. Because there's one word, and I forgot what it was, bapta, uh, where you stick it in and pull it right out. And that's not the word that baptism is. Baptism comes from the idea of immersion and keeping in. So you stick the cucumber in vinegar, and what happens to it? If you keep it in the vinegar, it changes. It alters its form. It's a metamorphosis into an actually different food called a pickle. Isn't that funny? Pickle. It's the most unromantic food word in the world. But that's what we are. We're pickles in Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You've put on the new man. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you're supposed to wear him. You're supposed to put them on. Isn't that an amazing statement? And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I will, this is the foreshadow of the gospel. This is so amazing in Isaiah 61. I will greatly rejoice. Where are you going to greatly rejoice? What's your position? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. That's a picture of the cross in Isaiah 61.
0: Thank you so much for listening to part one of this three-part message by Pastor Eric Ludi, pastor at the Church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.